Every single one of us is now living by faith. We may or may not be believers in the faith, but every single one of us is now living by some kind of faith in this unprecedented, unstable, unknown situation and environment of the coronavirus. How do I know that you're now living by faith? Well, I know that you're not living by sight. We really can't trust our eyes anymore, can we? Uh, we don't know who has the coronavirus. People can have it, be, but be asymptomatic. So we really can't trust our eyes. We're not living by sight anymore. We're also not living by works and by facts. So many of us do not trust the work of our leaders in protecting us and guiding us into the future. So many of us don't trust the facts of the constantly changing statistics or the guidelines that have been given to us. Some of us are ignoring that altogether. We don't trust works or facts, so we're not living by that. And we're also not living by logic or reason. Uh, our economy is in the worst state since the Great Depression in terms of unemployment, GDP, and record numbers of trillions of dollars of debt that we're now in over the past six months. And how do you reconcile where the economy is at with where the stock market is at, reaching all-time highs? There is no logic. There is no reason to reconcile the two together. All of us, in some way, are living by some type of faith. And it's an experience of a kind of in-between space of faith that is coexisting with um, with feelings of frustration. We're frustrated at the situation we're in. We're frustrated with other people who are in the same situation that we're in, but they see the same situation differently than we see the situation. And so we're frustrated during this time. We uh, have feelings of failure. We look around at the failing economy, the failures of uh, where our society is at in terms of social and political chaos. We're also having feelings of, of um, fear. How many of us have, have entertained at some point the worst case scenario in terms of where the coronavirus could lead as we live out our lives in isolation in this faith, in the in-between space? We're somewhere between the already of what has happened and the not yet of what we hope to see happen. And some of us are asking the question, how long? How long, oh Lord, are we going to be in this situation? Why doesn't someone step in and fix the situation we're all in so that we don't have to be here? And we're asking this question. And for many of us, we've just come to the conclusion that we don't know how long we're going to be in this situation or when it's going to change or how it's going to change. And so therefore, we just have to live by faith. The most important thing that we can do this morning is not simply to say to you, have more faith. You're already living by some type of faith. What we need to do this morning is explore the spiritual dynamics of how faith works when God is at the center, when God, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, how this works together in our journey with God through faith. We've been in a series called The Church as Diaspora, where we've been looking at what happens to God's people when they're disrupted and dispersed into the world. How do they honor God? How do they follow God? 
Um, how do they uh, relate to the world uh, in this environment of diaspora? And uh, for the past few weeks, we've been focusing on the Old Testament prophets who ministered at or around the time of the 70-year Babylonian captivity when God's people went into diaspora in the Old Testament. And so we've been looking at the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and today we're going to look at the prophet Habakkuk, who ministered right before and right into the time of the Babylonian captivity. And it was in the book of Habakkuk that the prophet Habakkuk had a dialogue with God, and God at one point said the most important statement on faith that was ever uttered throughout human history. God said to Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. And so we're going to look at uh, this small book of three chapters today about what it has to teach us about the spiritual dynamics of faith when God is the author and the center and the perfecter of our faith. Uh, before we go into that, a little background on the book of Habakkuk, a short summary of the entire book. Um, what was happening in the book of Habakkuk uh, is he's a prophet. We don't know much about him. He ministered before and during the Babylonian um, conquest of Judah and the burning down of the capital of Jerusalem as the Babylonians then deported most of the captives back to Babylon and they were captive there for 70 years. In the 120 years before Habakkuk ministered and throughout Habakkuk's ministry, throughout that 120 years, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians and then uh, the Babylonians came in. They conquered the Assyrians. They uh, defeated the Egyptians and Babylon became the world, the known world empire at that time. And it was during that 120 years in Judah that Judah had seven different kings in Judah. And of those seven different kings, five of them were wicked, or they at least lived in wicked times. Two of the kings were godly men, Hezekiah and King Josiah. And so during this 120 years, Habakkuk, as well as other prophets, ministered and prophetically to uh, Judah and to Israel. And they were wicked for much of that time. Uh, for much of that time, they were worshiping the gods of uh, the different Baals, the pagan gods. They were uh, profaning the Sabbath. They were ignoring God's commands and his statutes. Uh, their leaders, many of them were corrupt. They were taking advantage of the poor and the weak and the oppressed. And many of the prophets, like Habakkuk, spoke out against that. The summary of the book of Habakkuk goes like this. It's a, a dialogue between the prophet and God. In many ways, it's like the book of Job, towards the end of the book of Job, where Job dialogued directly with God on the issue of suffering and injustice. And Habakkuk looks around at what is happening in Judah, and he sees all of this injustice, all of this evil happening, and he sees it out of control, and he comes to God, and he starts pleading with God, how long are you going to let this go on? Look at what's happening to me. Look at what's happening to your people. Look at how, how are you going to allow this to go on for your own name? And Habakkuk cries out for God to stop this. God then responds to Habakkuk and he says, I am going to stop this, but not in the way that you expect. I'm going to send the Babylonians, this pagan, fierce, um, cruel people, and they are going to punish and conquer my people. And that is how I, as God, will administer justice towards the wickedness 
of my people. That was not the answer that Habakkuk wanted. And so he starts questioning God, waiting for his answer. Why, God, why would you allow uh, this people that is more evil than us, these Babylonians, to then conquer and hurt us as your people? We're wicked, but we're not as bad as those other guys. God then responds back to Habakkuk and he says, the Babylonians will be crushed after they do this at some point under my mighty hand. And so Habakkuk really doesn't understand this whole plan, but God reveals it to him. And he comes to the point where he hears God say the most important statement on faith that has ever been uttered to a human being. The righteous shall live by faith, God tells Habakkuk. And when Habakkuk hears that, and God reveals himself to him throughout the book, at the end of the final third chapter of Habakkuk. Habakkuk remembers God's faithfulness in the past to his people as he delivered them from Pharaoh, led them through the Exodus, led them through the, to the promised land. Habakkuk remembers God's past faithfulness and he ends by saying, I'm going to trust you, God, even though I don't see sheep or cattle or olives or figs, um, all of these things that we would need. Um, I'm going to still trust you. I'm going to take peace. I'm going to rejoice in you for what you have said will happen in the future. And Habakkuk finally realizes that faith, righteous faith, is not primarily about how God does things. It is primarily about who God is. And so I want to uh, make three reflections on the book of Habakkuk that I think will help us to understand the spiritual dynamics of faith when God is at the center of our faith, when he we recognize he's the author and perfecter of our faith. So let's go to the first reflection from the book of Habakkuk. Losing faith and asking why. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, Habakkuk says this, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Chapter 1, verse 13, skipping down, Habakkuk then says, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk saw the evil around him. And his soul was grieved. He was starting to despair. He was starting to lose faith. He was starting to ask why. And Habakkuk started by saying, why, why am I? Why, why am I exposed to all this wrong? Why, why are you, uh, why, why are you, are you seeing all this evil that's happening among your own people? He says again from our passage, how long shall I cry for help? Why make me, God, see the iniquity? And then he moves on. Uh, from our passage, and then he goes on to God, why you, you who are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong again. And there's several things that we want to start with as we reflect on losing faith and asking why during a time of testing and temptation, uh, difficult situations for your faith. How can we live righteously um, in our faith during this time? And the first thing we want to remember is Habakkuk uh, he recognized and he spoke against unrighteousness. He saw the iniquity, the evil of God's people, and he spoke out against it towards God. And I think this is where it really begins when we're going through a difficult uh, time of, of testing in our faith. Do we recognize what is righteousness? 
Do we know the heart of God well enough to recognize that? Do we know the commands and the truth of God well enough to recognize unrighteousness uh, that is happening? Uh, have we have we come to an understanding of what is good versus evil? What is right versus wrong? What is the truth versus the lie? And Habakkuk came to that place where he was able to recognize. Sometimes we um, see this evil that is surrounding us, and we just kind of internalize it. We just take it in. We don't um, either discern the evil. We just blame ourselves. Sometimes it is our own blame, but sometimes we have to recognize that there is evil that's happening around us that is inconsistent, that is false against what God wants and what he has commanded. And sometimes we just take it in, and we don't even speak out against it. But Habakkuk did. Secondly, um, we recognize that Habakkuk was a godly man. And he certainly has his own book in the, in the Old Testament. And this is a moment for Habakkuk when he had a weakened faith, when he started to question what God was doing and why we, he was allowing things to happen. And it makes me wonder, in the church, when did we ever come to the place when we thought that having moments of weakness in our faith, having moments when we... Uh, Ask God questions about what is happening. Why is he allowing uh, to happen to happen? When did we ever come to the conclusion as a church that those moments of weakened, losing faith, those moments of questioning was not an essential part of the Christian journey? You see, sometimes people lose faith and they not just question God, but they start answering negatively towards God and they leave the faith. But that's not what Habakkuk was doing. He was committed to God, but he was... He was weakening in his faith. He was questioning what God was doing. And that was essential for his journey because it brought him closer to God. God is bigger than your questions, church. God is bigger than your moments of weakness, of faith, church. God is not afraid of that. God actually wants us to come to him in those moments, even with those deep questions, even those, those moments where we confess to God and say, God, increase my faith. Faith, I lack the faith that I need. I mean, you see some of the most godly men in the Old Testament, Moses, David, the other prophets. And they had moments where their faith weakened. They had moments where they were openly questioning God. They never left faith in God. But when did we ever come to the conclusion that that was not an essential part of the journey? God is bigger than your questions. He's bigger than your moments of weakness. And so come to him and come to him boldly. And lastly, in this first reflection, um, I love how Habakkuk moved from why me to why you, God. I, I think the natural reaction that we start with when we go through difficult times in faith is we say, why me? Why me? Why is this happening to me? How, how could this happen, God? Uh, how are you allowing that? Are you paying attention to the story? And we start there, but I wonder how many of us move beyond that to not just why me, as legitimate as that is, but why you, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Not just for my sake, but for your sake. Why are you allowing this evil to happen for your own name's sake? This is not who you are, Lord. The nature of evil is inconsistent with you. Now, you may use a, a number of different ways to accomplish your purposes. I understand that. But to understand that I am primarily calling out to you, God, not just for me, but for the honor of your great name. 
Why is, are you allowing, your eyes are purer than to see this iniquity God in the words of Habakkuk. And so we need to make the move, not just from why me, to why you, God. And I think that is a nobler, mature, sanctifying faith. We need to boldly come to God and ask him, not just why us, but why you, God, and come to him in faith. A second reflection from the book of Habakkuk um, and how we can live a righteous faith is, um, the, and, and how the dynamics of faith work is that oftentimes there are, we are waiting in faith. A vital component to faith is waiting. Chapter 1, verse 5, God said to Habakkuk, for I am doing a new work in your days. That was the work of sending the Babylonians, and then he's going to crush the Babylonians, and God was going to be faithful to his people. God says, I'm doing a new work in your days that you would not believe it if I told you. God revealed some of that to Habakkuk. He didn't reveal to him the whole plan. Habakkuk wouldn't even believe it, how it worked into his grand plan for humanity. And so Habakkuk goes on to say, when he hears uh, a little bit of what God is doing through the Babylonians in chapter 2, verse 1, he takes the posture of waiting as a watchman. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, I take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So Habakkuk was watching. He was waiting on God. In chapter 3, verse 16, he goes on to say this, Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Habakkuk is a watchman. He understands he's got to wait patiently, and that is vital to righteous faith. What is the most difficult part of having righteous faith? Is it that you've got to uh, believe before you see something happens? You're called upon believe to believe in God and um, to have faith before you actually see something happens. That's what the nature of faith is, believing before you see. Is that the most difficult part of having faith in a difficult situation? Or maybe it's um, that you have to actually place your trust in someone else, God, to work out the situation. A lot of us like to um, kind of trust ourselves, and there comes a point where we got to trust in God. That's a difficult thing about faith. What about um, having uh, joy, uh, rejoicing, having peace amidst a life, uh, a difficult life situation that you're in at this very moment where you may be surrounded by an evil situation or surrounded by evil people? You may be in a place right now where you feel like there is no way out, where it's a dead end, and you are, are struggling to have peace and joy amidst that situation. Is that the most difficult thing about having faith in a difficult situation? You know, I think all those things are, are a struggle for a lot of us, but for me, the most difficult thing about waiting in faith is waiting. And the most difficult thing about having faith in a difficult situation is actually that when you have to wait for God to respond in righteousness Injustice, waiting on God. See, I, I can wait on God if I know that that time that I've got to wait is a very short period of time. You know, if if I'm going through a difficult time and, and, and with my faith or a situation, but I know that uh, God will resolve this in the righteous, just way, and all I have to do is wait for a few days, I'm okay with that. 
or maybe a few weeks, I'm okay with that. Or even a few months, I can bear it for a few months. But what happens to my faith when it doesn't get resolved in days or weeks or months, but now situations that are difficult drag on for years? Or even like worse, what happens if I even allow for the possibility that the situation that I'm in may get, it will get resolved ultimately with God's righteousness and justice, but I may not be around to see that resolution. It may not even happen in my lifetime, or it happens toward for years and years and years down the road. What happens to my faith when I allow for that possibility? Um, would you lose faith in God if he made you wait? Would you still want to wait if God's answer was right and just, but it was just different than what you thought was going to happen. Habakkuk says again, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Habakkuk knew that the Babylonians were going to come and it was not be the solution that he would have chosen as the instrument of justice. But he was a watchman and he was waiting. You are going to be tested by God in situations where you will have to wait for his response. You will have to wait for his righteousness and his justice to be revealed, to resolve the situation. I have known too many people over the years who profess to know Christ, who profess to be a follower, to worship God, who to be part of his people. Um, I've known too many people who make all of those professions, but when... God makes them wait in an area of their life that they deem important, essentially in an area that becomes an idol to them. Um, I've known too many people that at that point, when God made them wait in an area of their life that was uh, vitally important to them, they walked away from God. I know people who left the faith because um, they were waiting too long for God to reply. I know people who... Um, chose to abandon their hope to marry someone who worships God in the way they profess to worship God, and they just chose to marry someone who doesn't worship God because they didn't want to wait any longer. I know people who um, are in situations where, because of their anger, because of their impatience with the situation, then the longer they waited on God, the more angry, the more impatient they became, that they just decided to leap forward into the future, take matters into their own hand, and it actually created evil and calamity in their life because they didn't want to wait on God. What is important for us, church, is that we develop a discernment of waiting. There comes a point where you have to fix your own problems. There, there's a practical side of life where God wants you to uh, just take action to get away from evil, to make things right. And that is our responsibility of our own work to get out of a situation that we're in or to fix a situation that we're in. There's an element of that. We can't just have God solve everything in life. But there comes a point where uh, we kind of come to the end of what we're supposed to practically do in our own works and where we have to completely place our faith in God to resolve a situation. It works both together. There's a discernment line at some point. But there does come a point 
where it's not our responsibility anymore, and we've got to turn it over to God. And to say, God, um, I've tried to do what was righteous, but now we're coming to a place where it's such a difficult situation, and it's at such a difficult time for my faith that I want to be like those, the righteous who live by faith. I want to turn it over to you, God, and I will wait patiently. Because it's not just about how this happens or when this happens. It's about who I'm entrusting this to. What will happen to you when God makes you wait? There may be no more important thing that some of us need to hear this morning than that we need to be a watchman. We need to be patiently waiting on the Lord when we've done what we could to do what was right. Do you allow space for waiting in your faith? And thirdly and finally for this morning, a final reflection. At one point, God turns to the prophet Habakkuk and he says in chapter two, verse four, the righteous shall live by faith. This is a point of um, what does it mean for the righteous to live by faith? How can we gain that kind of faith? Um, And what Habakkuk did in the final chapter was he did two primary things um, to express righteousness in terms of his faith. He looked to God's past faithfulness uh, towards his people. He remembered God's past faithfulness. And secondly, he places his trust in how God would be uh, faithful to his people in the future. Habakkuk remembered God's past faithfulness. In chapter 3, verse 2, Habakkuk says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear and Habakkuk went on to say in the verses after that about how uh, he reminded himself how God had delivered delivered his people from Egypt, went through the Red Sea into the promised land, wandered through the wilderness and came to the promised land um, over that time uh, of Exodus. And God remember, uh, Habakkuk remembered how God had been faithful to his people in the past. And the second thing Habakkuk did in the final chapter, chapter three, is he trusted God for the future. And that God would be faithful in the future. In chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, um, Habakkuk ends by saying, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be filled on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Habakkuk remembered the past of God's faithfulness. He entrusted um, himself to God's future faithfulness. How has God been faithful to you in the past? This is what it means that the righteous shall live by faith. That we pause when we're going through a difficult time in our faith, in our life, and we look backwards and we start to remember how God had been faithful over and over again. Um, I have dozens of stories of how God had just provided for me and my family or our church uh, financially. Like we, Lorraine and I would give money to people who need it. We didn't have a lot of money at times. Um, And then like a check would come in the mail the next day. Um, And there's many examples of that I could tell you or what happened to our church and how God provided miraculously and, um, and just how God has been faithful to all of us at City Bible Church. 
and faithful um, to, to me in my life with my family. Um, but we remember God's faithfulness. How has God been faithful to you in the past? Take a moment today and just kind of reflect on God's faithfulness because he has been. He's provided for you in ways that you didn't expect. Um, the worst case scenario did not emerge. Or when you went through difficult times in the past, he saw you through that. He did not abandon you. Uh, you spiritually grew through that time. He was faithful to you in the past. How has he been faithful? And secondly, like Habakkuk did, he entrusted the future into God's hands, believing that God would be faithful. He didn't see the fruit. He didn't see the animals. He didn't see how this was going to you know, um, happen in a good way for Judah. In the end, it's going to be painful. But he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rejoice. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places rather than be brought down to the low places and stay there forever. And um, secondly, how are we rejoicing? How are we taking peace in the midst of our difficult situation, entrusting the future into God's hands? Um, I think we have to come to a place where we've done what we could in terms of fighting for and holding on and speaking up for righteousness. But that discernment of where, at what point do we just need to say, Lord, the future is yours. I've done what I could. You've been faithful in the past. I'm going to trust you for the future. Uh, Habakkuk, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite Old Testament books. And the reason why is because there's not a complete resolution for Habakkuk. Yes, God does promise and God is God. And so Habakkuk, when you, know, you talk to God, you're going to trust that. And so in that sense, there is resolution. God speaks. We believe that's resolution enough. But Habakkuk did not live long enough to see uh, God's people when they're in the 70-year uh, captivity in Babylon to leave, to have Babylon overthrown by the Persian Empire and then to have God's people released back to repatriate the land of Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple, the walls, and to uh, reestablish their culture, their heritage, um, who they were as God's people. He didn't live long enough to see that. He lived long enough to see the Babylonians punish his people. Um, and so there's a sense of res resolve, but also what is unresolved in the book of Habakkuk. And I, I really like that because so much of our faith journey is one part resolved of difficulty and one part unresolved in difficulties that we're going through. And Habakkuk really captures that. You ever hear Christians give testimonies in the church of how they were going through a difficult time and then uh, they just prayed to God and God delivered them in like a miraculous way. He parted the Red Sea. He delivered them. He conquered the enemies. He sent confusion into the enemy camp so that they wouldn't have to fight and they, they just walked in and took possession of the promised land. And we love to hear those stories of, of Christians who um, have seen God deliver them from difficult situations and uh, that encourages us in, in our faith that um, we've, we celebrate and rejoice with those Christians who are experiencing that kind of blessing, who have experienced that. But at the same time, sometimes we listen to those stories while we uh, are encouraged and we rejoice. There's this third component going on in our minds at times. If we ourselves are going through a difficult times, uh, time, we can also actually be discouraged by those kinds of stories. Or maybe we went through a difficult time in the past that was really not resolved and we suffered greatly for it. And we don't see anything on the horizon of it turning around into a better situation. Or maybe it just caused kind of permanent damage in our lives. And I think sometimes when you hear the stories of great resolutions in the Christian faith, 
it's not just encouraging, but it can also be discouraging at the same time. Because if we are in a situation that's difficult or had it in the past, um, we can say, well, that's great that that worked out for you. But what about me? Where was God for me? You know, some people it just seems to work out. What about me, God? Yeah. And um, I, I've mentioned before the past four years have been the hardest four years of my entire life. Um, it's a long, complicated story, but um, I experienced a lot of persecution for my faith, a lot of suffering for my faith. Um, I stood up and spoke up for what was right, and I believed God's heart, and I really suffered for that. And um, this, this, I, I uh, have been in a situation the past four years where it was really not my own doing. And, um, and, and just this kind of difficult situation was thrust upon me, and I've been trying to get out of it for pa- the past four years and uh, I've had many people pray fast for this situation. Um, Lorraine and I have been going through it. And it's not about me and her, but it's a situation outside of our family. And so um, I've just really come to a place where I, I cannot tell you how many times over the past four years I've cried out to God like Habakkuk. Lord, do you see what's happening? Why me, God? I, I, there must have been hundreds, literally hundreds of times over the past four years I've done that with God in prayer and just talking to God. Don't you see what's happening, Lord? And then uh, I, I think over time, I came to the realization that I need to make the transition about what Habakkuk did. And not just say, why me? But why you, Lord? You, you're holy. You're pure. You're good. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why do you have to look at this? And so that's been one of my prayers over time. And um, I've had to apply Habakkuk, remembering God's faithfulness. Trusting, you know, doing what I can for righteousness sake, but then I, I've coming to that, I've had to come to the place where I've got to entrust it into God's hand. And that has not been an easy process, I will tell you, even as a pastor. Uh, there's been moments where my faith has been weak. There's been moments when I've questioned God. But God is bigger than my weakened faith, and He's bigger than my questions, and He has worked through that. He's been patient with me to sanctify me in ways that I don't think I would have been had I not gone through this long ordeal of suffering and persecution for my faith. And so um, I hope that's an encouragement to you that Habakkuk, it was resolved, but it was not resolved. And yet God gave us this example to show that the righteous living by faith oftentimes functions in the place where there's not a complete resolution. And so, church, we want to come away from this time seeking not just righteousness for ourselves and justice for ourselves, but also righteousness and justice for God's own name. We want to come around, come away from this time uh, remembering God's past faithfulness to us and trusting our future into God's hands because he will be faithful to you. And remembering that faith, righteous faith, is not primarily about how God resolves something, how he brings justice and righteousness to a situation. It's not primarily about how, and it's not even primarily about when. God's going to do it how he wants to, and he's going to do it when he chooses. The righteous shall live by faith is primarily not about how and when, it's about It's about who God is and our trust in him. If you are not a follower 
of Jesus Christ. And you recognize that you have been living by some kind of faith during the coronavirus. It may not be faith in God. Um, The most important faith that you need is faith in Jesus Christ. It is Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, coming and the presence of the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of your life, that he brings you to faith, saving faith in God. And it is only through Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and our placing our faith in him. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, if anyone believes that Jesus has risen from the dead, which means he's alive today, and confesses him as Lord, to follow him as Lord of their lives, and is willing to give their life to Jesus, you will be saved. The, the definition, the primary definition of righteous faith is not primarily trusting God's faithfulness. It is primarily trusting in faith in the righteousness of Christ. And after we have done that, we live the journey of righteous faith, not through our own faith, not through our own power, but through our faith in Jesus Christ, who gives us the righteousness of God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For it is in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Do you have faith in Jesus? Because he is your righteousness. Come to him and trust your life into his hands. Ask him for forgiveness. Commit yourself as a follower to him. Recognize him as Lord And the Bible says that you will receive righteousness and you will be saved. And so um, as we close our time together, um, that is my prayer. My prayer is for those of us that do not know Christ, we'd entrust our, our lives into his hands. And for those of us that do as the church, that we, even amidst our wavering in our weakened and questioning faith, we may remember God's righteousness, his faithfulness, in our lives. He's going to be faithful to you, church, not just during the coronavirus, not just before it, not just during it, but after that. And so this is the time to make the commitment to say, I'm going to trust in your, your righteousness, God, to deliver me. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I know who.